Welcome to Zero to Start, a podcast about immersive development that brings you inspiring conversations with immersive creators, developers, and industry leaders. I'm your host, Ceciliana Trevidio. Subscribe to Zero to Start on your favorite podcast platform and follow our podcast page on LinkedIn. The Apple Vision Pro pre-sale was a resounding success, erasing any doubt about Apple's ability to capture the public's imagination and their wallets with its first spatial computer. The Vision Pro marks a new day, which is really more of a new tune in the XR industry that has the potential to transcend the friction and failures of the last decade. Despite some early device limitations and the steep price tag, speculation is rampant about the Vision Pro selling out its pre-order stock in just under 20 minutes, early revenue estimates reaching as high as $630 million. Today's show is part two of our Apple Vision Pro series, reflecting on the pre-sale experience, sales results, the device features I'm most excited about, and how you can begin making Vision Pro apps even if you don't have a headset yet. Be sure to check the show notes for links and resources to the items that we're covering in today's episode. Let's get started. At 5.30 a.m. on Friday, January 19th, Tim Cook posted a new Apple Vision Pro commercial saying, Apple Vision Pro pre-orders begin today. We're so excited for you to experience spatial computing for the first time. The commercial, which has been seen over seven and a half million times on X, has Apple's signature ability to pick the perfect song, which in this case sets the stage for what makes the Apple Vision Pro different from anything we've seen or heard before. The commercial takes us through the Vision Pro assembly line like a dance in an almost cookie-making fashion, although it's complex machinery that's perfectly choreographed the happy-go-lucky whistling of J.J. Johansson's 2019 song, I Heard Somebody Whistle. If I didn't know anything about spatial computing, virtual reality, or the metaverse, and I saw this commercial, I would do everything I could to immediately purchase a Vision Pro. In the commercial, the juxtaposition of the music and the subtle sounds of whizzing, whirring, and snapping of the production line unveils the mystery of how the device is made while seducing viewers with the promise of simple pleasures of being transported away by a melody. The Vision Pro is an open window to Apple's answer to the metaverse, an infinite canvas. The commercial encapsulates what Apple does best, creating emotional connections to technology through the power of music. The song has a timeless, nostalgic quality while displaying the company's most advanced device to date. The commercial gave me an impression that Apple is not as interested in mixing reality or defining it as much as they're engaged in mixing tempos and time playing with our temporal emotions through 3D objects and layering. Apple's giving reality a new tune, a way to dial in and dial out of our levels of presence. I looked up the meaning of the song, and of course, an AI-generated article came up. But for me, it didn't just sum up the meaning of the song. It also summed up how we should feel about spatial computing on the Vision Pro. So I'm just going to read the article because it's pretty short. Heard Somebody Whistle by J.J. Johansson explores the idea of finding solace and escape in simplicity amidst the chaos of everyday life. The song begins with the narrator waking up early, disrupted by something that disturbed their sleep. They then hear a simple melody being whistled through their open window, which instantly captures their attention. The lyrics highlight the contrast between the bustling noise of the city 
with its machines and screaming cars and the delicate, almost fragile sound of the whistle. Despite the chaos and overwhelm of the urban environment, the narrator finds themselves drawn to this small, insignificant sound. It serves as a momentary escape from the noise and distractions of the world, offering a sense of peace and serenity. The repetition of the line, I heard somebody whistle, I had to stop and listen, emphasizes the narrator's immediate reaction to this unexpected moment of tranquility. It implies that they are desperate for any respite from the overwhelming sensory overload of their surroundings. In the final verse, the narrator mentions sitting and trying to compose, suggesting that they may be a musician or someone who finds solace and creativity. They recall a recent experience where they were transported away from their immediate reality through a similar occurrence. This event, taking place when a door was left open, serves as a metaphorical gateway to escape, allowing the narrator to momentarily transcend their environment and find solace in something simple yet meaningful. Overall, Heard Somebody Whistle explores the theme of finding beauty and tranquility in the smallest of moments, even in the midst of chaos and noise. It highlights the power of simple pleasures and the escape they provide from the overwhelming complexity of modern life. Last Friday morning, my alarm went off at 4.45 a.m., and I didn't even try to snooze it. I turned it off and went right back to sleep. When I woke up a few hours later, I had that small pang of wondering, had I missed out? Was it sold out already? And if it was, then let that be a lesson to me to wake up at 5 a.m. and get there on time. I finally opened the Apple Store app on my phone around 9 a.m., And the first thing that you're required to do is scan your face for your headset fitting, which was relatively simple. It went by fairly quickly. And then the next section, you have to answer questions about prescription inserts, which I did need, but I didn't have to upload my prescription until later. And they made it very easy sending a reminder. And then finally, when you do get to the product page, there were three storage options, 256 gig model priced at $3,499. If you want 512 gigabytes, it's $200 more at $3,699. And the one terabyte option is $3,899. So the one terabyte was hard to resist, but in the end I chose the 256 because I figured I would just take the extra steps of uninstalling or deleting anything I'm not using. And at that point, I didn't really want to think about spending any more money if I could help it. I hadn't even seen the accessories yet. Then when you add the Apple Care at a whopping $4.99, definitely going in the cart, but um, thankfully I was prepared for a little padding on my budget. So I wasn't quite ready for the one terabyte price, but I did opt in for the $200 carrying case, which at that point, what, how does that saying go in for a penny in for a pound at that point? So um, that pushed my total close to $4,500. And at that point, in-store pickup was not an option at any store in the Bay Area. And I just looked through all the different options and I kept refreshing or kind of going back or clicking on different things to see if I could kind of get a different result without necessarily taking my headset out of the cart. The shipping window that I got was between February 16th and the 18th. And I started to worry that if I spent too much time trying to get an earlier date, I would miss out on 
February 16th. So I made the purchase, but then asked the support chatbot if they could find any extra in-store appointments as if they might have some kind of secret stash. But um, they actually, the bot responded that it wasn't possible to schedule any appointments because the headset wasn't available for sale until February 2nd. And so I made peace with the fact that I would have to wait and that I was just glad to be a part of it. I was excited to see that there was so much activity and it was a really seamless experience. While there was the sticker shock of the additional accessories, certain things were still within my budget. I started to feel like you know, if you're waking up at 5 a.m., you're paying for that price of admission. You're placing your bet early. You're placing your bet, but it's not necessarily going to be up to luck if you hit the jackpot. And by jackpot, I mean it unlocks some level of uh, additional productivity or helps innovate an existing product or creates new product categories around the core capabilities of the headset. I would just have to wait, but I couldn't. So a few hours later, I went to my desktop and selected a 512 gigabyte headset with the lens inserts, Apple Care, no extra case. And I was actually able to get an in-store appointment on the second in the afternoon. So whatever stock was selling out at the first 15 minutes to get those early appointments might have just been, I'd be curious to know if that was across all the storage options or if it was just at the 256 gigabyte. Not that it really matters, but it's just something I'm kind of curious about because I was able to get a release date appointment in store by just upgrading the storage. So maybe they had more appointments available for for that, something that you can, again, just speculate till the cows come home. So on checkout, because I paid for my first order with my Apple card and I didn't want to max out my card, I opted for the 0% financing for 12 months. And the total cost out the virtual door was just under $500. And because I've been saving up for this, I'll be able to pay that off before the 12 months. But it's good to have the breathing room just in case. And if you can, I definitely recommend exploring the payment options using the Apple Pay with the Apple Card for that 3% cash back. So at that point, I knew I had to cancel my first order, even though I, I didn't really want to. But then I started to think if I really was going to have two headsets, I'd upgrade to the one terabyte. There's a flurry of articles and takes about Apple selling out of its pre-order stock with Apple Insider and Engadget among the many outlets, quoting analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, who estimates Apple sold approximately 180 units, a staggering $630 million in sales. It's really not so staggering compared to Apple's 2023 annual revenue, which was $383 billion, but it's an absolute shellacking by comparison to 2018's Magic Leap 1 launch. In 2019, Engadget wrote, According to a report from The Information, the augmented reality startup and Silicon Valley darling only sold approximately 6,000 units of its $2,300 Magic Leap 1 Creator Edition mixed reality headset through the first six months that it was available. It goes on to say that it's made worse by Magic Leap's initial targets. The information writes, CEO Roni Abovitz had told investors he hoped the company would sell at least 1 million units of the Magic Leap 1 in its first year of availability. Eventually, he was reportedly convinced 
that 100,000 headsets was a more realistic goal. Sales of the headset, however, have been so poor that the company recently started giving employees free units. The company apparently burned through between 40 and 50 million per month through much of 2018. And Gadget continues, before writing Magic Leap off, there are a couple of points to keep in mind. The first and most important is that the information attributes its 6,000 unit figure to a single source. There are a lot of reasons why the publication may have been unable to verify the number, one of which is that it seems Magic Leap hasn't talked sales numbers with its own rank and file employees. All the same, we just don't know how accurate that number is. However, what we do know for certain is that a lot of AR and VR companies, both big and small, have struggled recently. Magic Leap is likely feeling the same pressure that almost everyone else in the industry is. End quote. In my last episode, I said that Magic Leap feels to me more like it's just fumes. And although it didn't live up to its promises, the current CEO, Ross Rosenberg, is optimistic about use cases for the Magic Leap in healthcare and surgical applications, as well as applications for the military, which isn't exactly a revelation, but the Magic Leap One creator headset was aimed at artists and developers. On January 3rd, 2017, Roni said in a company blog post, quote, Creativity matters. People matter. At Magic Leap, what we're building is designed to bend technology to serve the needs of the people. Magic Leap is for the dreamer, the artist, and the wide-eyed kid within us all. End quote. There are still artists who enjoy using the Magic Leap. There's still an audience for the Magic Leap, but I think that they're really not going to be able to recapture the level of attention or get anywhere near the kind of sales as what you're going to see with Apple Vision Pro. On a side note, I did purchase the Magic Leap One Creator headset with a grant for a futurist in residence program I directed in 2018. Between the short battery life and the challenge of never having more than one headset to demo at a gallery or museum exhibit, learning how to develop for the Magic Leap became less of a priority than mobile VR, which even back then reached millions of devices. So how does the Apple Vision Pro launch compare to MetaQuest or even their first commercial headset, the Oculus Rift, in 2016? According to a 2018 Statista report on Oculus Rift and Quest sell-through shipments worldwide, in 2016, the Oculus Rift sold 145 units three months after its release. The Oculus Quest 1 was projected to sell 435,000 units within the same time frame. Now, according to CNBC, sales of VR headsets and augmented reality glasses in the U.S. plummeted nearly 40% to $664 million in 2023 as of November 25th. I'm starting to wonder if Apple made way more than $630 million. If these numbers are correct, they could have potentially earned over a year's worth of headset sales in a matter of hours. And if you want to go further back into the origins of the company formerly known as Facebook's purchase of Oculus, see the show notes for a link to the 2014 Time article titled The Genius of Oculus Rift. In that article, you can see how gaming was the base level adoption strategy in contrast to Apple entering the market 10 years later with baked in video communication using personas versus avatars. And there's a Zoom app to boot. Apple's introduction of personas necessitates a whole other conversation about representation within Apple's infinite canvas. (music) 
So now that the headset will be here on the second, I do have to learn a bunch of new tools, dive into a whole new world of tutorials. I've been seeing some conversations around the success of the Apple Vision Pro being reliant upon developers rushing to develop new apps. And in some ways, I think it almost doesn't really matter as much as how users are going to respond to Apple's first 3D camera and player and the spatial audio experiences that could potentially spark a demand for apps that enhance those core capabilities. So I think that once people start to see the power of that 3D capture and playback, that could be the defining experience next to personal screens uh, or screen replacements for movies and more creative windows that you, you'd like to spread out. And again, have that freedom of determining your level of presence to focus on what you need to focus on and increase your productivity. But even if you don't have a headset, you can always get started by immersing yourself in the design and development documentation. If you are planning to distribute Vision Pro apps, you're going to need to join the Apple Developer Program. Enrollment is $99 US dollars or in a local currency if it's available per membership year. Nonprofits, educational institutions, or government entities may be eligible for a fee waiver. You can learn how to develop apps for Apple platforms, including Vision OS, for free without enrolling. You'll just need an Apple ID. You can access Xcode, software downloads, documentation, sample code, forums, and feedback assistant, as well as test your apps on devices. Additionally, if you have a Mac with an M1 chip, you can download and install Xcode 15.2 with the Vision Pro Simulator and start a test project from one of the available templates, which I did with the help from a YouTube tutorial by Near Future Marketing. That link is included in the show notes. Taking a quick look at the Vision OS website, what you won't see at the top of the page is any mention of AR, VR, XR, or the metaverse in favor of defining uses and experiences based on a spectrum of immersion. The Apple Vision Pro offers a, quote, infinite spatial canvas to explore, experiment, and play, end quote, with a focus on giving people the freedom to rethink their experiences in 3D. For me, this is a big aha moment where Apple drops the artifice of realities and acronyms. Apple's not trying to replace or define reality for their consumers. They're offering a much simpler proposition, doing what people like to already do in a new way, whether that's capturing video, sharing memories, broadcasting and live streaming, or watching movies. It's all accessible without having to define the technology that most people aren't really that interested in knowing about anyway. They just want to be transported away or they just want to be able to focus on the things they need to focus on and be empowered by the technology that they're using and in many ways be defined by that technology also. People that buy Apple products will buy whatever they're selling. So they already have that loyal fan base built in that would naturally lead to an increase in adoption for a relatively untested technology. Despite VR's magic of presence and agency, one of the failures of the metaverse is the lack of controlling a player's level of focus on what's happening to their digital experience. I know a lot about failure. It's how we grow. 
Failure happens when you dream big, take risks. Failure is beyond our comfort zone. And that's truly where innovation starts to happen. Whether it's total immersion or partial immersion, Apple Vision Pro's digital crown unlocks a new layer of agency with a familiar interface. It increases the sense of freedom users need to emotionally connect to their devices. The ability to adjust layers of immersion is a new design paradigm for developers to consider how they lead their audiences through that spectrum of immersion. With spatial audio transitions, acting like an auditory drop shadow that emphasizes light, dimension, and feedback. Even though Meta's new Quest 3 is a mixed reality headset, according to a report from The Verge, Meta has sold 20 million Quest headsets to date. The majority of those are going to be Quest 2, which those headsets pass through is activated by tapping the side of your headset. It's either on or it's off. You can't adjust those levels. The default is complete immersion. The digital crown creates a safer onboarding experience. While some might laugh at videos of the injuries people sustain using VR headsets because the users can't see their surroundings, controlling the level of presence significantly removes those hazards and helps the tech feel less isolating, a well-known barrier to adoption. Vision OS defines the spectrum of immersion by windows, volumes, and spaces. With Windows, you can create one or more windows in your Vision OS app. They're built with Swift UI and contain traditional views and controls, and you can add depth to your experience by adding 3D content. With Volumes, you can add depth to your app with a 3D volume. Volumes are Swift UI scenes that can showcase 3D content using Reality Kit or Unity, creating experiences that are viewable from any angle in the shared space or in apps full space. And third, Spaces. By default, apps launch into the shared space where they exist side by side, much like multiple apps on a Mac desktop. Apps can use windows and volumes to show content, and the user can reposition these elements wherever they like. For a more immersive experience, an app can open a dedicated full space where only that app's content will appear. Inside a full space, an app can use windows and volumes, create unbounded 3D content, open a portal to a different world, or even fully immerse people in an environment. They really are dancing around a lot to avoid saying augmented reality and mixed reality. I think by defining the levels of immersion through windows, volumes, and spaces really creates their own lexicon around how developers are going to use spatial computing terms and design elements. Further down the page, there's more details about the required Apple frameworks, including Swift UI, Reality Kit, AR Kit, and there's also links to the tools that you'll need, including Xcode downloads, Reality Composer Pro, and Unity. The page really becomes a rabbit hole of options to explore, but one video I do want to highlight is about exploring immersive sound design featuring Danielle Price from the Apple design team. It goes behind the scenes of creating the soundscape for the Mount Hood environment and how designers should be thinking of using spatial audio features. Watching this video and the others included in this section from last year's WWDC will spark new ideas and help you understand the essential design principles of spatial computing even if you don't have access to a headset right away. There's so much to dive into before February 2nd, and I'm really excited to continue exploring the Apple Vision Pro and expanding the conversation with future special guests. 
Thanks so much for joining me today. I hope this episode of Zero to Start inspires you to put your immersive dreams into action and open the windows of your imagination. You can support Zero to Start by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating and share this episode with your community. Until next time, happy installing.